0: Welcome to BIV Daily, our podcast called Coping with COVID-19 from the newsroom of business in Vancouver. I'm Kurt Lapointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. The Business Council of British Columbia has released its second quarter 2020 review and outlook. Not surprisingly, it's not good. Somewhat surprisingly, it's suggesting things are going to stay not good for some time. Despite a couple of good economic months as the start of the year, the overall impact is going to be a 7.8% contraction. In provincial GDP the council says it's not the worst it anticipated but it's not the best either and it's predicting an uneven slow recovery. Ken Peacock is the council's chief economist it's vice president he joins me now good to see you again.
1: Good to see you Kirk. Staying
0: safe and well in there and it's all good Uh, but the economy is not staying safe and well by any means Uh, this is pretty damaging stuff Um, why, why are we going to see, first of all, a bit of a slow, uneven recovery? Why not the bounce back?
1: Yeah, lot, lots, of, lots of factors there. Um, first of all, the recession is, is deep and we've lost 350,000 jobs. A lot, a lot of those will come back as the economy gradually opens and, and begins to recover so we will see some employment return but we don't believe we're going to see uh, all the employment return. and by no means are, after we get sort of well into the reopening phase is are we going to emerge from this unscathed and i say that just because the despite the reopening um restaurants are operating at half capacity many sectors are not reopening international film and television is one international tourism Both of those were big drivers of the economy. Those remain shuttered until a vaccine or some other cure is available. So to us, that suggests a fairly uh, lengthy time before they're reopened. And then now, Kirk, we've got this global recession. The OEC just came out with uh, one of the more dire global economic forecasts. It's the most recent one, and they are anticipating a very, very deep global recession. So we've got the domestic closure, As we struggle to come out of that, you know, and and reopen, we're going to be hammered. BC is going to be hammered by this steep downturn in the global economy. We add that all up and we just think it's going to be a spotty, uh, uneven, protracted recovery. And we can get into some more details in a moment.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get into some of the details. But I want to go back. Look, I was thinking today, this is less than 100 days, Ken, really like it like it a,
1: feels like a lot more than 100 yeah,
0: days yeah it feels like a lot longer but it's less than 100 days and um and we didn't shut down everything that everybody else did we we actually kept Paramount open so why not that resilience why not you know why not kind of the the quicker recovery if we really didn't dig our hole as deeply as other jurisdictions did
1: sure a good, good question we did not shut down construction and we were able to keep more uh, sectors and industries open in B.C. than other provinces. Having said that, we still did shut down our consumer facing economies. Um, non-essential services were shuttered. Uh, and and B.C. kind of uh, tourism is, like I said, a, a big economic engine. And when you think about shutting down those businesses uh, and then start contemplating the, the the reopening and many of these Service businesses are being told that they, when they reopen, they have these additional measures that are going to be have to be put in place. Mm-hmm. This means additional costs at a time when many operations have had close to zero revenue for, like you just said, uh, almost a hundred days, maybe a little bit less. That's that's a tough circumstance to get out of. They're going to have to be looking at rehiring employees. Uh, some of them are going to fail absolutely, and and we just think that uh, you know if you start thinking about say large retailers or large food services companies that have a lot of outlets and a lot of square footage uh, they may not need that square footage they may be looking to rationalize their outlets and as this unfolds as we get deeper into into the year that's going to work to dampen employment growth and recovery as well and just as one example of, of what i'm talking about The other day in the media, Starbucks announced that it's closing 200 outlets across Canada over the next two years. So this is the kind of thing, right? We're going to see employment recover, but then we're going to get this rationalization and closure in some industries, and that's going to weigh on the recovery process over time.
0: Yeah, and let's look a bit at what the over-time things could be. Um, Is there any sense emerging yet about just how permanent a scar there is on the economy? Is it... uh, is it, is it 10%, is it 5%, is there, is there a part of it that we just can't expect really to come back at all? We're going to need to invent new ways
1: to so, generate? Yeah, uh, I, I, there's definitely going, to be, definitely going to be some scarring. Uh, exactly what it is and how it looks, what it looks like, it is more difficult to to speculate about. But if you think about some of the trends that were in place prior to the pandemic and how they've been accelerated, I, I think we're gonna see more remote working. It's not, everybody's not gonna continue to do it in the way that we have in the shutdown, but some of it will stick. Uh, the education sector, the higher education sector is gonna be transformed. Many economists think that it was kind of ready ready for a, a remake and, and a move to more, to more online learning. That's been accelerated. of this virus so what exactly and those industries look like as they come out of it and the adjustment process difficult requires uh, some speculation and and guessing but I just you know the the other factor the other reason that I think we're in for kind of a slow recovery is I look around the world and you know the way different countries dealt with a virus was different The degrees Mm -hmm. of lockdown varied, supply chains were interrupted at different points in time in different countries. So there's not this uneven coordinated uh, recovery. And in contrast to the global financial crisis, there was a concerted, coordinated global effort to, to address the downturn to fight off uh, a financial collapse and, and more full-blown calamity. This time around, we don't have that leadership and that global coordination. So I just look I look out and I just see countries on different trajectories, uh, uneven recovery process, and where exactly the impetus to kickstart these economies, including BCs, is going to come from, it is difficult to see right now.
0: Yeah, let's uh, keep going on this thread, though, as depressing as it is. Um, our two largest trading partners um, each have their own problems with the coronavirus. Uh, Each though represents a significant part of the supply chain, bringing products into British Columbia and and accepting some products from British Columbia. How much more dire is our situation because of their own problems?
1: The, so, this year speaks to, to our, our sort of broad, high-level concerns and our conceptualizing of what's going on here and how BC is going to be hit is precisely that. The export sector, BC, is a small open trading economy. We benefit greatly from selling our goods and services into external markets. And part of that process requires inputs from other jurisdictions, the U.S. and China, you're referring to here, uh, China in particular. And when those are interrupted, uh, it, it you can't continue your manufacturing process. We don't have automobile manufacturing uh, here in British Columbia, but I've heard some people make comments like, okay, sure, we're going to start manufacturing cars again, but where are we going to get the steering wheels? Because wherever the steering wheels come from uh, has been shut down. So, you know, you can just imagine the complexity of trying to get all these parts back on, on, on track and on target in the production process with this virus uh, shutting down economies around the world.
0: Is, isn't this uh, really a bit of a tremendous payback for, uh, in a lot of ways, our desire to find the most affordable global producers and uh, and exploit that to the greatest degree possible with these supply chains and now what we realize is that a pandemic can just destroy it
1: yeah i i yeah, yeah. payback may i might cast it a little differently but There's no doubt it has revealed some vulnerabilities in the supply chain and uh, just how much we're integrated with other countries. And it's prompted a lot of companies and a a lot of policymakers to pause and and sort of rethink whether this is necessarily the best approach and circumstance we want to be in. I would just note, sorry?
0: Yeah, we can't repatriate a lot of that, right? No, we can't. It would take you a decade to do that.
1: It would take jackets, but I, I think one thing that's really shone a light on it is the the whole personal protective equipment supply issue and pharmaceuticals. You know, it's one thing to maybe have some difficulties getting TV components, but when you need these critical things like pharmaceuticals and protective equipment, uh, that we're I think we're going to see some significant realignment in those areas. But just just generally, Kirk, uh, I agree. The uh, the sort of the decade from the 2000s up to. Uh, the end of that decade, there was a clear move towards more globalization, increased global trade. Uh, pre- China became the manufacturing center of the, of the globe, and consumers in North America benefited from that. And I, I, I completely agree with you. We're going to see a little bit of that turnaround. It's not going to be a full uh, repatriation of manufacturing, but companies at the margin are going to look to find ways to build resiliency and redundancy into their supply chains and that's going to mean bringing some portion home or looking to uh, other locations for manufacturing
0: yeah in producing your uh your outlook can um have you have you factored in the possibility of a second wave here in the fall
1: yeah uh definitely that's a that's a great question i know what you know what my thinking is we factored it in uh, I will say the, the OECD their base case forecast is that there will be a second wave so kind of most most forecasts are like this is our base forecast and then if there's a second wave it'll be worse The mm-hmm. OECD took the different approach they said we are assuming there will be a second wave their alternative scenario is no second wave where it's actually a better outcome <laughs> so, so they're assuming it um, I think we will have a second wave but in, in our uh, write-up on our publication, we indicated that, first of all, BC has done very, very well in managing this. Um, and then, in addition, if you think about uh, a second wave coming, we now have equipment in place, testing capacity is available, uh, the public is much more educated, systems are in place to, to try and track and trace. We're going to have an app. I think we're going to have tools to a better control and, and monitor outbreaks. So, I think the outcome will be different. I'm not saying there's not a risk of a more widespread
0: No, you're you're not Dr. Bonnie Henry. However, <laughs> Yes, however, yes. Might that mean though, because we've learned lots of lessons along the way here and we have uh, repatterned ourselves to some extent in all of this, might might we see less of a shutdown? With a, with a wave that comes, knowing what our capacities are and our ability to secure uh, you know, all the protective equipment and so on. M- might that mean that we're, we're less inclined to go into this uh, really anxious, panicky mode?
1: I, I, think, I think I absolutely do. I totally think that, Kirk, Which is one of the reasons we didn't spend a whole bunch of time delineating a second darker scenario because pre- precisely that. I think we are going to be able to be more targeted because of what I was just talking about, more information systems and what. So we can take a more targeted approach if closures are necessary rather than widespread blanket closures. Uh, I, I do still think we're going to see the Canada-US border remain closed f- for most of the year, for maybe right through to the end of the year. So, uh, you know, things like that are beyond our control. But we did well in BC. We have good systems. Our public health, uh, system has served us very well, so I, I I'm very hopeful we can have a more targeted approach to any shutdowns if necessary.
0: So what I was hearing a couple of weeks ago from uh, from people who were uh, on the Serb, uh, and it was was their concern that this might end, and that there really aren't jobs to go to or jobs that they believe that that they want to be able to go to. Uh, so the government's extended that. Uh, in your report today, you you allude to the fact that listen, governments can't think. At all for the time being, about uh, relinquishing some of the support programs that are there for industry. What I wonder about is, is you know, how long you you think at this point, um, things like wage subsidies, uh, rent forgiveness, I mean, there's a whole batch of them yeah. that that are across the suite of services uh, that now uh, are there. Um, how long do you think we have to sustain these?
1: This, this is the this is the critical question this is absolutely the critical question because okay we know for certain it can't go on indefinitely the, 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 just the 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 money runs out and the math doesn't work you can't you're an it. economist
0: we, we just just we <laughs> just cancel the debt right don't we,
1: the don't we? debt and print some money no yeah no you can't quite do that so it's yeah. not going to go on forever yeah um the Serb is somewhat concerning because we're hearing increasing Numbers of stories of, about abuse. We even saw the Prime Minister come out and say that people are going to be prosecuted or um, if, if they are falsely claiming the Serb. It's the incentives that I'm concerned about. Um, absolutely, measures were needed when the economy was shut down. People were instantly put out of work. Vital that the government step in and provide some support. The question that you're getting at is how long should that last? And uh, the, the challenge is how much employment is going to come back, how many jobs are going to be available for people to fill in this reopening phase. And like I was alluding to a moment ago, not all sectors are reopening and not all jobs are coming back. So government does want to provide some support. But like I said, you can't do it indefinitely. And at some point, you're going to have to wean people off and get them motivated to be back in the labor market because it's a it's a fairly generous payment. And a lot of people are financially better off being on the CERB. Sure. I have spoken to a number of employers who, uh, you know, their workforce is being laid off and now they're going through the process of rehiring people and they're going down the list and they will actually phone up people and say, Would you like to come back to work? And some of the responses sometimes, Well, no, I, I'm, the CERB is serving me well. I, I'm, I'm okay there. Plus, I've got daycare issues. Plus, I've got maybe transportation issues. So, again, there's all these. Multiple pieces that have to realign to allow people to get back to work part of the reason I think it's going to be slow Also part of the reason I don't think we can carry on with the CERB uh, indefinitely. I myself would have liked to seen some sort of gradual Mm -hmm. phase-out Just to help people prepare prepare maybe and and and, and blunt the incentive to continue to collect it a little bit
0: But it it, it's it's problematic, right? I mean no matter how you you start moving forward I mean it obviously there's no one-size-fits-all approach that would work in a country of this many people, but it's not even like one size would fit 25 people at this point. I mean, it, it's so individualized, um, and you know, the, the accommodation of people's income and uh, and the fact that they they want to pursue uh, given careers, given, you know, they, they they don't necessarily want to change a career. Uh, coming, uh, coming through the pandemic. They want to stay largely w- where they were back in February and early March. Yep, yep. How do you marshal something like this with, without it being so imprecise and, and sluggish that you know you defeat the whole purpose of incentivizing people?
1: Right. And I, I think that word, the word is it, 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 not precise. It's a, it's a very blunt tool. It was a blanketed. It was rolled out in, in great haste, which... It needed to be because things were changing very rapidly. And and I, I'm hearkening back to your comment at the outset. It's uh, we're 100 days in. It, it seems like years and we're only 100 days into this thing. So, you know, there's government, there's going to be challenges and problems with unrolling and folding, put un, un, unrolling these programs out. There's also going to be challenges and problems with reeling them back in and, and wrapping them up. Uh, there are other social safety nets in, in Canada. Um, don't know how effective they'll they'll be. The I guess the, the critical thing that the government is trying to do here is keep household balance sheets intact, not have people's finances destroyed. We really don't want people losing their homes. We want them to be able to pay rent if they can. So this was intended as a short-term stopgap measure to fill that. If jobs don't come back... In meaningful numbers, uh, it, it, it's an open question whether it will need to be continued, extended a, a second, third, fourth time, uh, and exactly what it'll look like six months from now. It's very difficult to say, Kurt.
0: Yeah, and and from an employment standpoint or employer standpoint, um, obviously the wage subsidy is the large program there that is uh, buttressing some of the cash flow issues that businesses have. Uh, they would be starting now to get a little concerned that uh, the end of the road is coming for that subsidy in a fair amount. Again, does that also just have to extend out in the same way that we are with the CERB?
1: I think government will have to look at that, absolutely. Um, It would be good to know, it'd be nice to know from an analyst economist perspective, just what the uptake has been and, and what the utilization of that program has been to date it it may be that if it is continued they could do it in a more targeted manner and I do know it is my understanding that that program was a little slower to uh, to get out and be delivered to businesses than than the Serbs so I don't know if they're in checks are actually even flowing for them at this point
0: no I think that they earmarked something like 70 billion dollars for the program and it's only a little bit north of 10 billion that is has been taken up so far which suggests there's a lag because obviously a lot of businesses believe that they qualify for it um but again uh if if you're anticipating that the recovery is slow and uneven and is going to we are going to see a lot of pain here through the balance of the year border closure still that's the case then does it behoove government to start sending signals awfully soon that um that it's going to keep these programs in place for a time, or does that defeat the purpose of motivating employees and employers to get on with conducting business as usual?
1: It, it, it does change the incentives and the decision-making processes, absolutely. What governments are confronting though, is is there gonna be enough demand, and is there gonna be enough economic activity and job opportunities for people to, to actually sh- switch off these programs. So it's gonna, it's gonna be a very, very delicate walk here, trying to roll back these programs at the same time as trying to evaluate whether the economy is moving on to a more solid footing, whether job growth is picking up uh, and whether the global is recovering so that our export sectors can start expanding Create jobs, provide spinoff benefits, and whatnot. So, uh, how that's going to be determined is going to be very, very difficult and challenging.
0: Yeah. Last question, uh, uh, you because you, again, you're portraying not a terrible 2021. If, you know, it, certainly by 2020 standards, it'll be actually a pretty good. 2021. Um, but um, have you given any consideration yet to uh, how we're going to pay for all of this?
1: <laughs> to pay. It's, all, it's, it's interesting, it's, it, I think policymakers, government, the public is in such shock right now. No one is really talking about it or paying much attention to it. It's just, and, and that's fair because we got to basically stop a, a, a flood and a complete calamity. So that's fair. Attention has not been turned to, to, to that issue right now, but uh, the bills are mounting. Governments are taking on more debt, absolutely. Deficits are going to be huge we can in canada afford to take on some more debt and and, and manage that debt load but -hmm. it cannot continue to go up year in year out i I think we can take a number well we're going to have to we're going to see deficits for a few if not several several years um but we cannot run deficits for the next 15 years and just hope that it miraculously solves itself on the deficit issue the most important thing to consider is economic growth as long as the economy grows quicker than the debt load we take on, then proportionally the debt burden is falling. So so really, policymakers should in large part be turning their attention to how are we gonna get this economy going and what are we gonna do to kickstart it? To me, that involves not adding additional costs onto businesses, not adding additional burdens, regulatory burdens and, and other things, allowing them and providing a good environment for investment, because at the end of the day, if businesses don't invest, they're not going to expand and they're not going to rehire people. And that's really what we need.
0: Okay. Well, then I'll, I'll put in one more question before I let you go. And that, that is, we hear a lot of people basically saying, well, now's the time also to really pivot our economy. And now's the time to go into the green economy. Now's the time to shed some of the traditional businesses and, and move on and on and on. Um, Is that just too much of a maneuver to pull off right now?
1: Yes, it's too much of a, yes, so we're in a huge hole, huge economic hole. We want to get out of this hole. What do we turn to? Do we turn to relatively small emerging sectors that don't have a large employment footprint? Or do we turn to industries that expanded robustly over the past decade, over the past five years? that are large, that are well-established, that can grow and that we have expertise in and that we're globally competitive in. I think it's the latter. Um, We need to sell goods and services, um, produce them, do what we're good at and sell them into the global marketplace and that's the road out. Having said that, it does not mean dismiss new emerging industries. I think it's a combination, uh, Kirk. We're not going to fill a 350,000 uh, drop in jobs by relying on green new initiatives and clean energy. And it's not, it's not a negative comment on the new industries. They're just not big enough. They're right. just simply not big enough. It can't do it. It would take decades okay. and decades and decades. So by all means, put money towards it. So what, how I think about it is we really need to create a policy environment that encourages businesses Enables businesses to first survive and then encourages them to rehire as many employees as possible We're not going to get them all back So we also have to support and encourage new business formation new industries new sectors which you're just referring to so to my mind It's absolutely a combination, but it would be a huge mistake for policymakers to do that big shift that you were just referring to and ignore the sort of traditional and work engines and export engines of the economy and when i say traditional i I have a broader interpretation most people think of that as forestry mining uh, natural gas maybe agricultural products and fishing i even lump in some of our service industries uh, tourism uh, film and television and professional services because we've been pretty good at exporting those products uh, for a long time now so look to our big industries that provide a lot of jobs Create, uh, generate export earnings and do generate wealth and prosperity in the province while also paying attention to the emerging economy.
0: Okay, we could go on for a long time but we're going to <laughs> break it off there. Ken, it's great seeing you again. Stay safe, stay well out there. Thank you so much. Ken Peacock is the Chief Economist and Vice President of the Business Council of British Columbia. I'm Kurt LaPointe. Thanks a lot for watching our daily podcast here at BIB, Coping with COVID. We'll see you again.